Good morning and welcome to Central Hope Church. So glad to be with you this morning as you come in and take your seats. Make sure that you grab a bulletin as this is going to be incredibly helpful to our service. And I just want to tip my hat to Jackie Lester for making some edits to our bulletin. If you uh, will take notice, the font is bigger. Hallelujah. So those of you that have uh, strained your eyes over the last few months trying to figure out what are we re reading and what are we singing? Well, we have solved that. One last uh, thing that we've made or one last edit that we've made into the bulletin is, and you will see that we've also added a page, a much larger page for sermon notes, as well as um, a word about communion at Central Hope along with prayers for those not communing. So we've also added those things to assist you in the worship of our God and the time that we have together uh, considering God and, and worshiping Him. So thank you, Jackie, for doing those things. It is a, a good gift and a way that we want to serve you, the people of God, in this season. Um, if you will, would you stand as we come into the presence of our God to consider who He is and what He's done and hear from Him as He calls us into worship. Amen. Let us now lift up our hearts along with our eyes and hands to God in the heavens. Let us stir ourselves up to take hold of God as we seek His face. Let us give Him the glory due unto His name. Let us now worship God who is a spirit, in spirit and in truth. Like the Lord our 
take a look at who we are and that is what we are going to do as a people now as well as a time of personal confession before God to acknowledge who we are to confess our sin before a holy righteous and good God and so you'll notice in your bulletin a prayer of confession and I want to encourage all of you who are here this morning to partake in this prayer of confession we'll do this corporately together saying it aloud and then following this uh, a corporate prayer of confession taking some time to do it in the quiet of your own heart. So if you would join me to confess your sins before our holy God. Most holy and merciful Father, we acknowledge and confess before you our sinful ways. We are prone to evil and slow to do good. We constantly fall short and offend your ways. You alone know how often we have sinned, wandering from your ways and wasting your gifts and forgetting your love. O Lord, have mercy on us. We are sorry for all we have done to you. Teach us to hate our errors. Cleanse us from our secret faults. And forgive us our sins for the sake of your Son. And O oh, most holy and loving Father, help us to live in your life and walk in your ways according to the commandments of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Take this time now in the quiet of your own heart to confess your sins before God, the particular sins of your life.
to those of you that have confessed your sins before God. Lift now your heads and hear the assurance of pardon that comes to us because of the gospel of our God. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor really keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our friends. He remembers that we are dust. Praise be to God. At this time, we're going to continue in our worship by giving back our tithes and offerings. Consider this beautiful day, a day where the cool breeze hits our face when we walk outside the door, a day when we get to see the laughter and hear the laughter of our children and see the joy on their face. Yes, we give praise to you for beautiful days like this. You are a great and glorious God. 
But not only we praise you for your attributes, we praise you for what you have done, how you have forgiven us of our sins through your son, Jesus. It is his body, his blood broken and shed for us for the remission of sins that enables us to come into your presence. And so we praise you, glorious God, holy and loving God, for a people like us coming into your presence. What a great and gracious gift this is. Indeed, we come in clothed in the righteousness that Jesus imputes to us by faith. Come to your presence and we ask you and plead with you as you commanded us to do, to work in and amongst us. Lord, would you, would you be with those here that are hurting and suffering? Would you give them comfort and reprieve from their suffering? Would you be with those who are searching in their faith right now? Would you give them eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your word? Lord, would you be with those who are physically ill? Would you be, would you be a, a healing, a bring healing to them? Lord, be with us as we come under your word and study it. As we study what it means to be wise with our tongue this morning. May we indeed be a people who are considerate of what we speak. In light of the mercy and grace that you've given to us. And for the children, as they learn from your word downstairs. May the word be like seeds planted in their hearts that in due season would bear much fruit for the glory of your name. Lord, be with us as you have promised you would. May we see it, know it, feel it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, it is good to be with you and good to be uh, together as a people. And at this time, I want to encourage you to stand up and enjoy one another and say hello to each other. And in just a short moment, we'll gather back. Children aged 3 through 8, you're dismissed downstairs. You get to hang out with me today. <laughs> the service. Um, I am going to one-up that today. Um, 
done something never done. We'll see if it works. Uh, it may work, it may not, but we'll see. So you're going to get this thing in your hand. Don't worry, we are not going to read everything that's on there. Most of it is for your reference. Um, you'll see what I mean as soon as you get it. It has a place for you to take notes, has a place for you to, to look at various verses and stuff. Uh, I am John Stevenson. I work uh, alongside Dan, uh, helping out with the church. And I think we've had some great sermon series uh, this year. We started the year and went through September. We went verse by verse through the book of John, covered the entire book of John, uh, which is one of my favorite books. I think that was great. Dan took us uh, through the month of October and talked about godly repentance and what that looks like. And it's not turning from godlessness to being godly and doing right things, but it's turning from godlessness and turning to God himself. The one who is the answer and who is the source of all the desires that we have of control and comfort and acceptance. And so we're having a little break, a three-week mini-series on what we're going to call Practical Proverbs. And then we're going to have a good, what I think will be a good Advent series for Christmas after that. And when the subject of Proverbs came up, Dan asked, uh, just said, you know, pick a topic and, and whatever you want to do, that's cool. And the one that immediately came to my mind was one on the tongue. And it's not because I thought other people needed it, but it's because it's something that I need. So it's a message I needed to study, it's a message I needed to write, and it's a message I needed to look at for myself. And I'll get into that a little bit more later. But I think it's also a topic that's crucial for believers, which is why it's a constant theme throughout the book of Proverbs on the tongue. Now, you can see on that handout, I went through all of the books of Proverbs, and pulled out all of the verses that I felt had something to do with the way we speak, the tongue, the mouth, the lips, those type of things. And there's about 90-something of them there. And then I went through that, and then I categorized them into, okay, where do these kind of fall, which form the basis of the outline, and then you'll see as we further subdivide it. But the first thing I want us to look at today about the tongue is the problem. And the problem is, we all have a tongue. We all have a mouth. And we all have a lips. Barring unusual circumstances, all of us do that. And even if we don't have the ability to speak, we probably have the ability to type and to put comments on social media and comments on news pages and other things where we can get ourselves into a significant amount of trouble through the things that we say, either verbally or through a keyboard. And the key verse I wanted us to look at this morning, which is the, which is the theme verse for the message, is Proverbs 18.21. Where it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat its fruits. Now, we all know what trouble has been caused when other people use their tongue against us. And we know what trouble our tongues can often get us into as well. We live in a bit of a different culture now, but uh, I'm old enough, older than most of the people here. We've got some people here older than me today. But, you know, it used to be what elementary teachers would say uh, when, when something happened on the playground, you know, would be, they'd tell you to say, oh, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Except that was supposed to create some kind of defensive shield that, that whatever anybody said to me, it didn't matter. I was going to let it go because names didn't hurt me. Well, that's just completely stupid. I mean, we all know that's stupid. I mean, this is a silly, words hurt. I mean, it's, it's a silly example, but I can remember specifically, I was in fifth grade, and it was still in the time, I don't know what they do in school now anymore, I don't have kids, but when you, when you walk down the, uh, the hall, you had to walk in lines, and boys were on one side, and girls were on the other, and you had to walk straight, and you couldn't talk, and all this kind of stuff. And so, one guy, I still remember his name, Aaron Long, I hadn't seen him since fifth grade. But this guy, he told me, he said something to me. He's like, why are you waddling like a duck? And I was like, I was just taken aback. I've always had the same personality. And so, and so I had so many questions that started going through my mind at this time. I didn't verbalize it, but I was thinking, I was like, number one, why was he looking at my backside so intently as you we were walking down the, down the hall? And then I pictured a duck and how a duck walks. And that's rather hard to mimic how a duck walks. So, and then three, I thought, well, this might got to be it. We just walked down this ramp that was notorious for being kind of uneven 
and kind of walking downhill and stuff. So it probably changed my gait a little bit. But even with my overly rational mind as a fifth grader, I started wondering how I walked and it got into my head. And so every time I'd walk down the hall or in the line, I was like super self-conscious about what my backside was doing when I walked. And so the more you try to walk straight, the worse it gets. And so for a long time, I was just a little bit self-conscious about the way that I walked. And you can see, even at 40 years old, it's still in my mind today. I remember that situation. But back to something more serious and back to this verse, Solomon is literally saying that the words that we speak can bring life or they can bring death. And we know that to be true on a personal level. I'd imagine that many of us here have had hurtful things that have been said that can come to your mind right now without even much prompting. Maybe someone told you you walked like a duck. I don't know. Maybe that's just unique to me. But those personal things or the attacks and things that people criticized you about, you carry them with you for a long time. Deep and irreparable scars from words that were maybe meant as a joke or even worse, words that were meant specifically to hurt you at the time that they were said. We see it on a global scale. Wars, insurrections, murders, and suicides have been sparked by words that people have said. Someone goes on in the rest of the verse to say, those that love it, love their tongue, will eat its fruits. And some translations say literally, those that like to use their tongue, either for good or bad, will taste whatever comes out of your mouth and experience the consequences of those words. And you see, your tongue doesn't just affect another person. Your tongue affects you. It can be a sweet fruit that builds you up and nourishes you, or it can be a bitter fruit that destroys you from within with the words that you use. And again, I feel this is such a crucial topic as a society because we have more avenues than ever to use our tongues than ever before. It used to be you'd have to pick up the phone and call somebody or pass a note across class. Now you can just log on to any of, I don't know how many social media platforms there are now, but you can just post whatever you want, whatever you're thinking to do that. And this is where I'm going to be totally open and honest with you about why I chose this topic. Because there was a period of time over the last two years where I went down a rabbit hole of using my tongue in a way that was hurting others and was hurting me. And a side of me that definitely exists, but I don't like, started to come out more and more when discussing a certain worldwide pandemic. And what started out with me is a sincere desire to help people, a sincere desire to give people facts and help understand complex issues that they may not have been exposed to like I had, turned into frustration, and frustration turned into anger, and the anger built as more and more what I perceived as false information came out. And I found my responses becoming more arrogant, more pointed, more sarcastic, and more, more hurtful to the people who disagreed. And I just couldn't, and I wouldn't let it go. There wasn't an argument that I could pass by. And I rationalized it as I saw my behavior change. Because I was right. People were sick, and people were dying, and someone had to say the right thing, no matter what, how many people's feelings it hurt. Someone had to say the right thing and tell people that they were wrong about what they were doing. And I had the 20 years of scientific and medical experience to smash down the conspiracy theories and new videos and all these things that were coming out that were putting people in danger. And it became a sincere delight for me to argue, to prove whatever they were saying was wrong. But bite after bite of doing that, of eating that fruit, and at first was sweet. And I had this high, I had this sugar rush for doing that. And it made me want to do more. But even after I posted such an irrefutable argument backed by all these facts, no matter how many people supported me and encouraged me and told me to keep saying these things, the fruit was becoming more and more bitter as it sat inside, as I drove a wedge between people that I had known for years and even decades of doing that. And that was my poison fruit. And my tongue was not only hurting others, it was hurting me from the inside more than I even realized. And so our problem is that our tongue can be used for life and death for others, but it's also a fruit that we eat at the same time that we say it that can destroy us. Second, I want us to look at the principles of how to appropriately use our tongue. Now there's a very old saying, many of you may have heard this before, 
of the three things that you should ask before you say anything. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it helpful? Many of you may have heard that. And so I looked to find, try to find what the origin of this quote was. And as best as I can find, the earliest time that it was written was by a, a 13th century um, Persian poet by the name of Rumi. And apparently he's, he's, he's quite a popular uh, poet nowadays, so it's been translated. But as I read through Proverbs, I wanted to catch each verse that focused on that. And then categorize them to see if that statement is true. Not because Rumi said it, and not that's because that's what I wanted the points to be, but to see if that indeed did fit a biblical model as given by Solomon. And so my proposition from this morning is that from the wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs, we can use the tongue for life if we ask ourselves three things before we speak. Is it true? Is it kind? And is it helpful? First of all, is it true? And you can see from the list of verses that are all listed under that first point there, that Proverbs has a lot to say about truth-telling. Specifically, how much God hates lying. It's in the same category. If you look at Proverbs 6 there, it's hands that shed innocent blood. What we say in, 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 in a lie or not telling the truth is in the same category as hands that shed innocent blood. So there's no such thing as a little white lie. We read Proverbs 19 that it's better to be poor and truthful than rich and a liar. Throughout we read of lying associated with calamity, being a, being a fool, receiving punishment and perishing. So God takes the truth seriously. And a very simple point is, don't lie. Tell the truth. Now most of us here probably don't consider ourselves liars. We don't walk around telling untruths day in and day out. We're probably more tempted towards what Proverbs refers to as crooked speech, where we misrepresent ourselves. We misrepresent our work, our accomplishments, the things we do, the things that, that make ourselves look better. We oftentimes speak with the intent to mislead, even if we don't use words that are actual lies. We're tempted to spread that bit of gossip, even if we don't know if it's true or not, just because it sounds like something that would be fun to say. To say. <clears throat> But I want to focus on a very specific aspect of truth-telling this morning because our ability to spread lies, rumors, and mislead has become so easy. And part of the reason it's so important for us to tell the truth is because we as Christians do one of the most anathema things in society today in 2021. We make a claim to absolute truth. And in a postmodern society or in a post-postmodern society, however you want to classify it, we claim that there is a meta-narrative of creation, fall, and redemption that applies and encompasses everyone on earth, whether they like it or whether they want to participate in it or not. We make a claim of one triune God who is the only true and living God and that he has spoken truth to us through his word. We defend the inerrancy and the inspiration of the Bible even when others are backing off of that. That the gospel is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation for humanity that is totally depraved and has no inability and has no ability to save themselves. And those are very bold and exclusive claims in a society where we want to have other input from other people. But they should be bold claims because they are true. But one of the things that's bothered me is that the church that holds to these things, we started to follow and promote other truths. And these truths were largely drawn from the political spectrum. The truth of the gospel of Christ within the church is becoming compromised in my mind because it is mixed in with these so-called <laughs> truths or theories. And we spread them because we didn't ask first, is this really true? I'm always worried every time someone starts a sentence with, did you see on Facebook? Now, don't get me wrong. Everyone's entitled to their own opinions about things that are going on and things that are happening. But you're not entitled to your own truth. And there is often a truth behind these things and that we need to check out. Now, many of these issues are difficult and complex and multifactorial, and you can't make just one single, simple statement about it. And they deserve careful attention and study and scrutiny about them. But now, more than ever, as a people of God who are trying to protect and defend the truth of the gospel... We must constantly ask ourselves, is what I'm about to say or what I'm about to share on whatever aspect, is this true? So that the truth of the gospel 
isn't diluted by something else, by something baser. Second, we should ask ourselves, is it kind? Now, just because something is true and has passed that first test doesn't mean that it is kind to say. We can think of a lot of things that are true about people that we would never tell them to their face. Um, you could probably think of some things about me that you wouldn't tell me, and they'd probably be true. But we would most likely agree that society is as polarized as any time that I've ever seen it. And I think we'd also agree that the evangelical church is as polarized as any time as I've seen. But it's not about doctrine, and it's not about the truth of the gospel. We've become tribalized within the church of God over these so-called political truths that have no doctrinal or really eternal significance over gossip that we find, over things that we want to spread, and over these so-called conspiracy theories that fit whatever way we want to look at the world. And where do we see so many of these arguments and battles being waged? We see them online. And the like, comment, and share buttons may be three of the most dangerous weapons that have ever been created. Making matters worse, we've recently found that platforms were programmed to encourage this type of behavior. Negative comments and reactions and, and likes were boosted five times more than positive comments on Facebook. So no wonder so much of this argument came to the surface, and it's what you saw day in and day out, because the algorithm was designed to make these things happen. And these online battles have spilled into verbal disagreements with unbelievers and believers and with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we mock and we disparage those who don't see things our way. And it's led to discord and disunity amongst the body of Christ over politics and societal issues. And Paul tells us in James 3.10 that these things ought not to be. Now being kind doesn't mean that we avoid the truth. There are things that are true that we have to stand up for. But we speak the truth in love. Specifically, truth about the gospel to unbelievers will almost always be perceived as offensive as it runs contrary to the world's way of life and the world's way of thinking. But the manner in which we share the gospel, the manner in which we share our faith, and the manner in which we share the truth of God should never be unkind. We know how much words can hurt, but from some of those passages that are there, look at how much kind words can benefit. It speaks of it being a fountain of life. It talks about healing. It talks about making people glad. A tree of life. A delight. And a, honey, and a honeycomb. We often underestimate the power of kind words, especially when we see evil speech described as a scorching fire. I mean, a honeycomb is nice, but how much does that match up to a scorching fire? But look at Proverbs 25, 15, where it speaks of the power of a soft tongue to break a bone. And I think that's especially true in society today, where there's so much anger, there's so much vitriol directed at people, you see it in the airports, you see it in restaurants, you see it in stores, of how much a kind word can mean. Black Angus reminded me of that as I got off 630 at Fair Park today, and it just said on their sign, be a kind person. Our society is longing for kindness. As people of God, we should have kind words. And kind words have immense power. So we should seek to respond in a kind way, no matter what is said or done to us. We may feel we have the right to, to speak back to someone in a way that's unkind to match their tone. But that power of a soft word can speak so much more. In a world, world full of anger and fighting, let's be the people of Christ and bring healing and not hurt through the words that we say. Ultimate healing comes through salvation in Christ, and we know this. But if our words turn people away from the gospel and turn people away from the church because we're associated with anger and vitriol, especially over things in politics that don't matter, we're doing significant harm to the reputation of our Savior. So we need to ask ourselves, is it kind? Number three, is it helpful? Now, defining helpful can be done in many ways. So I went through each of those verses and wrote out what I felt was being described in each of those verses. And from there, I tried to, to subcategorize them and get to as few of number as I could get. And five was, was what I could break it down to. And so it's there as A through E. And the first thing is to know if it's helpful is, am I being slow to speak? 
Meaning, am I being calm? Are my words measured? Are my words restrained and thoughtful? Proverbs 18.13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is a folly and a shame. Proverbs 29.20, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than him. James tells us to be swift to hear and slow to speak, but it seems we far often do the opposite. We're, We're very slow to listen, if we listen at all, and very quickly to give our opinion and, our, and to say something about what we've just heard. We should listen first and then see if anything even needs to be said with it. And many times, we don't need to say anything at all. It's not something that just needs to be said. So am I slow to speak? Second, am I being humble? Proverbs 27.2, let another person praise you and not your own mouth. Proverbs 30.32, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, Or if you've been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. And I like that picture. I think of how many times I should probably literally just put my hand over my mouth before I say anything, before I type anything, or before I respond in a certain way. And this is often how we come across unkind, because we desire to show how much more we know about something than someone else. And showing how much we know usually means pointing out a flaw in someone else's knowledge, line of thinking or reasoning. And if our statement is only used to build us up, to show, hey, look at me, this this is what I know about it, it doesn't need to be said. It's a prideful statement that only brings harm. Third, or C, am I demonstrating wisdom? And this carries the idea of having understanding or having knowledge. Proverbs 10, 13 through 14, on the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Proverbs 17, 27 through 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Once we we understand what is being said and why something is being said, the way it is. So we should want to know, what is their point of view? Where are they coming from with this? What other factors are involved? Do I understand what it is that they're saying before I respond back to that? Am I understanding them correctly? But we should also have some knowledge to be able to speak into a situation if we choose to engage speaking about that, especially if there's a little bit of tension involved with that. Else we end up repeating information that's not accurate. Whether someone was misinformed to start or or just blatantly attempted to create chaos by making something up. Sometimes we can end up being too staunch on an opinion when there's evidence that might contradict it. So if we're going to demonstrate wisdom, we'll seek to have understanding and knowledge before we speak. Fourth, am I being righteous? And one aspect is speaking up for what is right. If you look at Proverbs 31.8, it tells us to open our mouths for the mute, the rights of those that are destitute, to defend the rights of the poor and needy. And there are times we need to speak up, and sometimes in a loud way for injustices and other things that are going on. We're biblically commanded to do this. And as a church, we've often failed in doing so. So this is an area as a church where we need to do better in speaking up, to speak up for what's right and the rights of others. But another important aspect of being righteous is knowing that our tongue reflects our heart. In Proverbs 10, 19 through 21, it says, where words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Christ told us in the gospels that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, the mouth speaks. So whatever is in our heart will come out. Someone's once said the lips are a window to our heart. Perhaps we should check our words and what we say to see if our heart is where it needs to be. And then fifth or E, am I showing discretion? And by this, it means, is it the right time to speak? Is it the right audience? Is it the right place or the right form? Proverbs 16.23, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Proverbs 23.9, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Proverbs 14.7, leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet the words of knowledge. 
There are people that no matter how much truth you're speaking, and if you're speaking the truth, and even if you're speaking kind, there's just no help for them. It's just going on and on in an argument that does not need to be had. There are times and places that even true and kind things don't need to be said. It's best left for another time. I forget who told me this, but someone told me something like this of, don't argue with a fool because he'll drag you down to his level and beat you with his experience. And I'm afraid that many times we engage with people with foolish talk in an attempt to help when we would just ask ourselves, is this a helpful conversation to have? And finally, the promise. It's a popular expression. Um, when, you know, we started out in Proverbs 8, 20 and 21, where it talks about fruit. And some of the last verses there under Roman numeral 3 have to do with fruit. And it made me think of an expression that is often used when we want to prove someone wrong. That I'm going to make him eat his words. Well, we all eat our words. Both good and bad. The more we use our tongue for good, the sweeter it is, and the more satisfied that we will be in this life. That's the promise. And as I said, several of these we referred to fruit, and that reckons back to Psalm 18.21. And Solomon is again expressing the idea that, that what we say doesn't just have an effect on other people, but it affects us as well. So we can live a life and be satisfied with good by having good speech, or we can live a life of trouble and a life of ruin. And the more we use our tongue for evil, we'll be destroyed not only from the external consequences that come from that, and we've soft seen those and maybe experienced those, but from the internal consequences of the words that we use as well, as it, it, as it destroys us from the inside. So Solomon indicates that our mouth reflects our heart, and in turn, our mouth affects our inward being. And it's a recurring cycle. And so if you could play back an audio tape or see the screenshots of the things that you typed this week, what would it reveal about you? Not just about what you said, but what does it reveal about you? Do you use your words for truth? Are your words pure? Are they kind? Are you slow to speak, humble, wise, knowing at the right time to say something? Are you building people up and not tearing them down? So my plea for you this morning is, is to evaluate your tongue, but not just to evaluate what you say as the means at the end in itself, but to evaluate it as a window to your heart and make the change there in your heart because any other change to your speech is something that's just superficial and it won't last. We're even told through several of these verses that even at times, a fool can speak what's right and is considered wise. So the ability to speak right comes from the heart. I couldn't help but think of this, but Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. If we dwell on these things, not just in our heart, but in the things we read, in the people we spend time with, in the things we watch, in the situations in which we put ourselves, it will be reflected in what comes out of our mouth. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat its fruits. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs. We thank you for the practical advice for daily living, for how we should walk with you, and how we should express a relationship with you. I pray that you would help us to evaluate our speech. I pray that as a church of God, that we would be known for, for using words that are true, words that are kind, and words that are helpful. I pray that we would show humility. I pray that we would take an opportunity today or this week to evaluate the things that we say, our attitudes and our reactions, and use that as an opportunity to look within ourselves, to examine our hearts, and to see if our hearts are right and where they need to be. And if not, I pray that we would turn to you. I pray that we would repent and change our hearts so that we can change what we speak and how we speak. In your name we pray. Amen.
Say. 